Are y'all ready to talk about a bad mamma jamma of the Bible? I'm so <laughs> excited mamma for this one. Yeah. Uh, were you familiar with this story beforehand? I was familiar with Tamar, but I... So we're in Genesis 38. Uh, everybody, welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I wanted to jump straight into it because I'm so excited. Uh, my name is Alyssa Robinson, and I am here with two of our pastors, our senior pastor, Reverend Daniel Humbert, and our newest associate pastor, Reverend Gracie Millard. So we Yay. are... Hello. Welcome. Excited. Welcome. Uh, Excited to be here. And you get to be on this amazing story. So we are in Genesis 38, uh, looking at the story of Judah and Tamar. And um, the big question that I want to answer in here is, did Tamar crack the code specifically to the patriarchy? She, she brought it down. Like she brought down the system using the system. She did. That's and right. And I... Love it. And so, yes, Daniel, to answer your question, I had read this story before. I had heard this story preached before. Um, but when I read through it and then I started researching some of the Levitical laws and like the marriage laws of the time and put a little bit more uh context behind why the decisions were being made that they were, it doesn't feel as random of a story as some of the other things yeah. that we've been talking about uh, in this weird Bible stories series. So <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Um, but Gracie, thank you for making this your first episode yes, on the my, Life Plus God podcast. My debut. She's thanking us every day for starting in the weird series. Yes. I know. This was a it's weird baptism time. baptism by fire, really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Genesis 38, obviously, I don't want to read the entire chapter to y'all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really encourage you to go in and read it for yourself because it is really interesting. But Daniel, at a super high level, would you be able to walk us through kind of the mechanics of this story? Yeah, I can try. Um, first of all, it's kind of wedged between uh, Joseph's story, right? That's one of the weirdnesses. But the basic story is Judah, who's one of the brothers of Joseph, um, is married, has three boys. Uh, the three boys, two of the boys die. Uh, we'll talk more about the Leviret law, but because two of the boys die, he promises his third son to um, a daughter-in-law, and that doesn't work out well. Uh, Tamar, the daughter-in-law, um, is told to go off and, and kind of be a widow, and uh, she believes she's going to get the youngest brother as a husband, right? And it doesn't work. Judah doesn't follow through on his promise. His wife dies. Um, he goes about his business, runs across Tamar sort of randomly, it appears, and uh, has a, uh, an illicit relationship with her, right? Uh, she has kind of planned that out, as you point out, cracking the code, and she does it in a fascinating way, right? And then he comes to realize, golly, I, I had sex with my daughter-in-law, and this wasn't what I had planned. He tried to cover it up, got upset with her, and then realizes kind of in the long run, hey, I'm the one who screwed up. She was in the right, and this ought to work out well. And then they, they have two kids, and it's a fascinating story. A love story for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> Most Just of the Bible weird. romances yeah. are. <laughs> so the first thing I want to dig into, and this is the part that fascinated me most about this story, and I'm really excited to talk through it, but I also know I'm going to stumble through it because um, I'm not as up to date on my Leverett marriage law as I should be. <laughs> 
Um, but I want to explain because it the whole idea of, of course, we've talked about in previous episodes that at this time women were considered property, but the extent to which that is true was um, there's just so many legalities around how women are passed around in a family. And so the way that the Leverett law works is that uh, Tamar was promised to um, Judah's son, Er, er, er. It's er. spelled er. er. Yeah. It's a, yeah. a uh, weird er. name. Er. <laughs> um, and God didn't like something that he did and struck him down dead. Okay. So in this law, um, she is then passed down to the next oldest son. But it goes even deeper than that. Uh, if her and the second oldest son have a child, the second oldest son is actually considered a surrogate of Ur. And so the child that she has is considered the son of Ur, mm -hmm. not the son of the brother. Mm -hmm. right. um, not a lot of understanding around DNA, I assume, at the time, or how your genetic code is passed down from generation to generation. Um, but that was the understanding. And so when I got that, because uh, it didn't make sense to me, it doesn't really explain why the second brother didn't want to impregnate mm -hmm. Tamar. And so he had sex with her, but he was spilling his seed on the ground because he was like, I don't want to get this girl pregnant. Well, it makes sense because that means if they did have a son, that son would be the first heir to the family's fortune. Mm -hmm. And that son would be, end up getting way more money than the other brother would get. It's, it's so crazy and complicated, but he was doing this so that he's not having to split the inheritance right. with a kid that wouldn't be considered his. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so God struck him down too, killed him. Um, but I found that to be really, really interesting. Um, I don't know. What do y'all think of that? That whole... Did y'all know that whole theory? Well, Daniel's like, yeah, I went to seminary. Gracie's like, yeah, I just got out of seminary. Like we know. Well, this I was must shocking to me. Yeah, no, I, I have to admit. So prior to seminary, or prior to prior to you know in depth Bible study, I often wondered why Onan was doing what he was doing, and mm -hmm. I didn't get all that right. And so it doesn't make uh, common sense to us at all. Um, it's even further complicated, I think, by what Judah does eventually with Sheila and not sort of letting him eventually step in in, in the third place, right? Mm -hmm. And the, and why Tamar gets upset about that, because she sees the writing on the wall that she's going to get messed over. Mm -hmm. And so she's, she creates a pretty good plan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the, the other interesting, so that third brother, Sheila, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, there is that part of that law is, okay, second brother's now dead. She gets passed on to the third brother if they're over the age of 10. So 10 years old, you're qualified for marriage. Crazy. Uh, Isn't that great? I mean, that, yeah, part, that, part, I, that yeah. part I had not remembered, the 10-year-old deal. I was thinking it was the 13-year-old bar mitzvah yeah, kind of deal. And so the 10-year-old deal was was fascinating. Just real quick an aside, so there's, a, there's one New Testament reference to this whole deal as well, where Jesus is confronted by some... Um, Sadducees about whose wife this uh, woman is, right? And, and he quotes this deal about seven brothers and all that kind of stuff. And that's another way out of the New Testament to kind of connect these dots about Leviret law. And I think it's fascinating. And of course, Jesus ultimately says, you know, we're not all really married when we get to heaven, so you don't need to be worrying about that stuff. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah. So 
basically the way that Judah wrongs Tamar, as you mentioned, is that in this leveret marriage law, uh, you are supposed to either marry her to the next son or declare her a widow so that she's allowed to marry someone else. And Judah basically was, you know, conflict avoidant turtle and was <laughs> hey, like, <laughs> we have feelings too. <laughs> and he was like, I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening. Basically leaving Tamar in limbo, mm-hmm. um, which at a time, she needed to be connected to somebody, be having kids to feel the safety and security of being in a community. And he denied her of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you start to see like all of these weaving stories. And I uh, kind of was joking around with my partner as we were talking about this of like, I can see them making an entire HBO series around this story and each of the characters. So let's just take a time out. If we were making this into a movie, (laughs) who would you cast as Tamar and who would you cast as Judah? So I thought way too hard about this question because I always (laughs) am like, oh, so I only ever think in one stream of celebrity. Um, so I I was thinking movies, and so Joaquin Phoenix came to mind for Ooh, yeah. good one. I need somebody oh, who's a little like gruff, a little scruffy. You know, I couldn't think of anybody better. He played the Jokers. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Maybe would do a good job of Judah. So I speak my age in all this. So I think of Judah as Sean Connery. I think, you know, sort of an older guy who's kind of gruff and yet, you know, sexy and all that kind of stuff. And then I thought, well, maybe Tom Cruise now because Mm -hmm. he's an older guy. But then in terms of uh, Tamar, I thought of Natalie Portman or Mm. Emma Emma Watson. I thought they would make really wise characters because that's what Tamar is, right? She's wise. I make up. She's probably, you know, pretty nice looking. And so I think either one of those might work. See, I'm a huge fan. First of all, what I learned from that is you think Sean Connery is sexy. You so bet, man. that's what you I bet, take man. away from what you just said. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking, so of course, the movies that I love the most are Marvel movies. And um, so the person I thought of for Judah was actually Mark Ruffalo. I don't know huh. if you remember that's him funny. from oh. 13 going on 30 that's, back yeah. in the day. But he uh, <laughs> basically started off as like this really gruff, like standoffish guy who softens over time. And that's kind of how I saw Judah of like, I think he could play like the gruff, dismissive guy who's like just stuck in the patriarchy, but then kind of soften up at the end and be like, hey, wait a second. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I I did something I shouldn't have done. And then of course Tamar, I was like Zoe Saldana. Like I yeah. want to see her. Yeah. Yeah. Tamar. Yeah. That's perfect. Like, yes. That attitude. Yeah. But she yeah. also has like this wisdom. But I just want to see her like mm. give the death stare to Mark yeah. Ruffalo. Yeah. Um but anyways, that was just a fun, <laughs> a fun little tangent to go off into. Um, for all the movie producers for listening, all the movie producers <laughs> listening. I, you can you know, contact think, us. Yeah, and going back to your your whole point about golly, thinking of a movie or or a series, I think all of these stories we're reading would make a great Netflix series, right? I think there could they could really. So somebody needs to convince them of this. Why don't this, you do that? I think they already did it, and it's called Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> there are no new stories. Yeah, yeah. pretty much yeah. the Bible has all of it. So. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so I also want to get into the cunning of Tamar. So we kind of talked about like she she tricked Judah, but I want to go into some of the details of what she did and how she did it. Um, I have often told people that uh, my Harry Potter house is Slytherin, and I think that Tamar's house is she's house Slytherin too. So I don't know if anyone out there agrees with me, <laughs> or if we want to do Enneagram. I'm claiming her as one of my own. She's an eight. <laughs> but um, so so let's talk about Tamar's role in all of this and how she specifically tricked. Judah, because this was such a level of cunning and thinking five steps ahead. Like mm -hmm. she knew where this was going of tricking him into having sex with her. Mm -hmm. um, so, so let's talk about how that started. Um, first of all, she is in disguise as a Kadesha woman. And um, I don't know if y'all had known about the phrase Kadesha or anything or what it means. Could you give me a little, if you do know? Well, so Kadesha, you know, is a, is a fascinating term because it's only in, in the Hebrew scriptures three times, and this is one of those times. And so we have to actually utilize information from other Ugaritic or Semitic language to try to better understand it because it's in Deuteronomy 23 and Hosea 4, and in all of those cases it's identified either as a cultic prostitute or... Um, uh, the the CEB actually used an interesting phrase, a consecrated worker or a female <laughs> attendant. And it's fascinating to, to learn that, right? Because there's actually two different words used in the story. In, in verse 15, the traditional word for prostitute is used, zonar. And, and then when we get to verse 21, she's referred to as this kadesha. And the kadesha is a very unique word. And mm -hmm. I make up, because I don't really have a clue, that um, Hira is calling her that when he's searching for her. Remember, mm -hmm. that's where the reference is coming. He's looking around town to find out how Judah can, you know, pay off his debt. Doesn't want to admit exactly who right. she was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or and who so, he thought she was. Yeah, and so it's, it's literally, at least I make up, it's a way for him to both cover Judah and actually somewhat be gracious for Tamar, right, if they can find her. And so... Um, the deal is there are lots of different thoughts about what this might be, right? Either, a, a, again, sort of a, a cultic prostitute who was there for, uh, from other religions, it would have been known, um, that was just a part of um, fertility religion. Uh, but also, uh, as some of the other translations point out from either other um, languages or from the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy text or from the uh, Hosea text, that it's really just a, a prop—because here's the other fascinating thing— is Kadesha, uh, when translated, can actually mean holy or set apart. And Ooh, so then it, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so then it gets really hairy, right? Because how can we have a word that is rendered as either prostitute or harlot be associated with holy? Well, the holy part is about this sort of um, fertility goddess, right, mm -hmm. uh, or prostitute. And so uh, the Hebrew folks didn't really know what to do with that, nor our English translators, because it's like... What are we going to do with this concept that we use as holy, and it's affiliated also with a prostitute or a 
uh, other well, official. It, honestly, it kind of makes me think of like witch hunts back in the day of like any woman that uh, was doing something that men didn't understand. They called her a witch if she was <laughs> yeah. like healing or we still using do that? herbs Don't. or like. I think it's making a comeback, but. Um, because I also read, uh, how do I say it? Kadesha? Kadesha. Kadesha. Okay. Um, that when you mentioned it's translated as female attendant, it can also mean someone who uh, practices in the art of midwifery, mm. someone who is a lactation specialist and helps women. And so like these women were like widows or single women who were just on the side of the road offering up their services. And so it couldn't have necessarily been assumed that Tamar was offering up her sexuality as a service. Um, but I just I think it's interesting that I have never uh, read an interpretation that didn't just immediately put it as prostitute, like she was acting as a prostitute, which obviously she well, she did have yeah, <laughs> sex but, with Judah. But yeah, but it's it it again. I I make up that he's trying to be gracious when he says the temple prostitute because she would have been literally set aside for a very specific role. I, I do think it's important that we acknowledge that Tamar never literally is is being a prostitute, mm-hmm. right? That's not her that really wasn't her intention. That was a part of her plan was to come off that way, but that's not a part of her role, part of what she's doing. It's lit- and the story tells us that, right? Judah assumes mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. a prostitute. She's dressing a very connivingly, if you will, to ju- to make him think that even though that's clearly not who she is or what she's doing. Yeah, and so the next part of her plan so first of all, she's disguised herself as a prostitute. She's playing this role. He seeks her out, assumes that mm-hmm. she is a prostitute, and he promises her a goat. I have a goat. And she's like, okay, give me the goat. And he's like, well, I don't have it on me. Like he's patting you his pockets. You don't carry goats and- <laughs> with you? I don't understand. <laughs> like, well, but uh, so she was basically like, okay, uh, give me your staff and your uh, insignia. And I will hold it as collateral until you come back with this goat. And I'm just sitting here wondering, how did she know he wasn't going to like, did she look at him and specifically ask for payment of something she knew he didn't have so that she could do this plan? No, I I, I mean, I don't know. I can't answer that. What do you think? (laughs) I no, I don't know either. But I was also thinking about the fact that how it, it just backtracking a little bit of how she found out that he was going to be somewhere. It just Mm -hmm. says that when she was told that he was going to be such and such, it's like, did she kind of, did people know like Tamar is not happy with Judah? Like, Hey, Judah, I heard Judah is going to be, you know, up the road a little bit. And so then she's like, all right, rubs her hands together and (laughs) let's get started. Also just like, How does she, what does she do that she knows he's going to be drawn to her? Like, I don't know. It's just, she must know something about, I think it says something about Judah. The fact that she knew it wouldn't take a lot for her to have to. He's a lonely guy. He's a widower, right? He's a lonely guy. But yeah, I think, I think Judah is likely a well-off guy. So she Mm -hmm. probably knows he's not necessarily carrying cash. That, that wasn't normally, you know, something that you normally had. And, uh, But because he's well off, he's going to have this insignia. Mm -hmm. And the staff, of course, represents power. She gets power from him, but it'll be a unique staff, right? It'll be his. And so you combine the insignia with his staff, and she's got him. She's got him. 
Yeah, so he gives her all this stuff, and then she's like, okay, keeping this. Like, she has no intention of meeting up with him again where he said, hey, let's meet up. I'll get you the goat. I'll get my stuff back, blah, blah, blah. She had no intention of doing that. And then she just kind of like sits and waits. Mm -hmm. Smug lady. Just sits and waits because she knows. like Watches it unfold. Yeah. She's patient. I mean, it's three months. She's patient. Yes. And she got pregnant. I mean, this is kind of what you were talking about. Biblical story. This is what we were talking about in week one with Lot's daughters of like one go round, you get pregnant. But um, so... She's sitting there waiting, knowing that she's going to start showing eventually. Uh, Judah sends out his little friend to find her because he doesn't want to be caught looking for a prostitute that he owes money. So uh, sending out his friend to find her, doesn't find her. And I I imagine that Judah's just like, woof, okay, I get to keep my goat. (laughs) Nobody's ever going to know. She's gone. Like, I don't know. And he also knows, I think, that she's not really going to be able to use the insignia either, right? Because it's an insignia for a guy. I mean, it would have been unique, distinctive. It wouldn't have been just generic. Mm -hmm. So he kind of knows, I'm not out of goat. I'll just make a new insignia. She won't be able to use it. Yeah, I think he's thinking he's off scot-free. So do you so you don't think there was any like fear in the back of his mind, maybe thinking like, ooh, this woman has something that identifies me? Well, he does because of that one passage that says, um, what does it say? Uh, bring her out and uh, oh no, 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 where he says, um, the people will laugh at uh, verse twenty three. Judas said, let her keep the things as her own. Otherwise, we will be laughed at. You see, mm. I sent this kid, and uh, you could not find her. His point mm. there is, if people discover who has it, then yeah, they they would kind of laugh at me because I've I've done something I probably shouldn't have done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next step in the plan. Uh, sorry. So she waits three months. She starts showing. She's pregnant, <laughs> and uh, the community. Let me see. It says Judah was told. So, you know, town gossip. Again, these mystery messengers. <laughs> yeah, mystery messengers. Uh, hey, Tamar is pregnant. And the specific wording in my Bible, which is actually a teen study Bible, which makes it fun. Um, <laughs> your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the whore. That's what it says. Played the yeah. whore. Yeah, played the whore. Moreover, she is pregnant as a result of whoredom. Um, so... Fun. Good, good biblical language, yes. right? Play yes, the what, whore. Yeah, in our teen study Bible. Um, but hey, these uh, some of these Bible stories not safe for work. That's right. It's uh, true. Bring her out and let her be burned. Mm. So she's a witch. Uh, <laughs> the town is like, okay, bring her out. Let's kill her. She uh, had sex. She got pregnant. And then guess what happened? It was her fault, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They're like, well, you did what we told you not to. Time to die, yeah. basically. Well, um, in, a, in a pretty severe form, right? The, the normal form would have been stoning, which is bad enough. But to be burned is to say, this is even worse. That's what he's basically saying. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To be burned is a worse So punishment. it is significant yeah. that the choice of execution was burning as yes. opposed to a stoning. I don't know. I'm thinking about all this in the middle of the Joseph story that <laughs> Judah has also just sent his brother off. Oh, no, sorry. Sold his brother off. And so now he's like, okay, now we got to burn this lady. It's like, <laughs> Judah, 
guy is really racking up a track record here. Indeed yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, of course, I just imagined Zoe Saldana sitting there <laughs> all smug. She has this like half smile on her face because she knows like, all right, I got him. Uh, I can identify the man <laughs> who impregnated me. And then she pulls out Judah's insignia and staff and he immediately realizes his own hypocrisy mm-hmm. and, and falls apart and says, I was in the wrong and finally takes uh, Tamar on as his wife, yeah. as he was supposed to, uh, according to the Leverett marriage law. Yep. Um, so... I, I won't say that this is exactly smashing the patriarchy because it's still yeah. pretty uh, strong in there. Just but I like like I said at the beginning, Tamar using the system to mm-hmm. her advantage yes. to break the system and get what she wanted in the end, which is heirs to help her uh, have a safe and comfortable life. Yep. Like mm-hmm. she yep. won. Yep. She won this whole thing. And I feel like we don't often see the women win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes and no. I mean, I think this is the powerful part of this story because um, I, 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 I'm sure you've got as a question for us, Scully, what the heck? Why? I mean, why is this story shoved in the middle of the Joseph narrative, right? I did. And I actually wrote down, I don't know. Of course, I grew up with the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so it's like this really, it's another crazy story. But this story <laughs> just cuts off the middle mm-hmm. yes. of Joseph's epic story. It's yeah. literally and it inserted. comes out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah, it's literally inserted. Yeah. And I think it's inserted for the very thing you're, you're sort of highlighting or pointing out, which is uh, Tamar is not only winning here, right? She kind of gets what is due her, clearly, and she gets kind of... Uh, sort of reinstated into the line. But I think it's also that she's demonstrating what a few other women have d- have demonstrated in the Hebrew scriptures, particularly in Genesis. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it's here. Because if, in my opinion, I think if we don't sort of acknowledge that, we go, this this story has no purpose. It's just a weird inserted story but it's here. it's so fun. It is a fun <laughs> it story. It has been my favorite yeah. story yeah. that we've covered so far. Yeah, it is fun. But so you think of other women in Genesis in particular, or even Exodus for that matter, but uh, you, you know, you, you think of some of them who've played great roles. Rachel has played a great mm-hmm. role, and, and, and Rebecca has played an amazing role. Well, right? and I was reading about Deborah last week in yeah. Judges. Woof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sis. And then, you, and then you get into Exodus, for instance, with Moses, and you've got Shipra and Pua, the midwives who helped make him, you know, and, and his sister Miriam and mm-hmm. his mom. And, and women, it, this is the irony that we don't pay much attention to is, both in the Hebrew scriptures and certainly in Jesus's day, women are actually playing massive roles Mm -hmm. and saving, in this case, the Israelite nation. And we don't give it much attention. And yet it's throughout the whole scriptures. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, not given as much attention, but they're definitely there. (laughs) You were not lacking. I mean, it's not 50-50, but it's not lacking. No, that's right. I mean, and, and we just don't give it enough attention. And I happen to believe that's why the story's here, because otherwise, at least in my opinion, it doesn't make sense that it's here, except mm-hmm. for this, that it's not only Tamar who's winning, it's ultimately uh, David's house, and in turn, of course, Jesus' mm-hmm. lineage. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I want to name one more way that she won in terms 
like I would imagine it probably wasn't her cup of tea having to sleep with her father-in-law. Like, I mean, I don't it was know. Not first choice. Probably. Yeah, not first choice. That's a good way to put it. And would so, it, would it have been a choice at all? But yeah, yeah not right. first choice. Yeah. But. So another thing that I read in the Leverett Law <clears throat> is that so you mentioned she had two kids with Judah, so she was pregnant with twins. Um, in the Leverett tradition, once the woman has the children, having sex with her again would be considered incestuous because you've already done uh, what you needed to do to secure uh, mm. heirs or a legacy for heir, er, heir, E-R, the yeah. son. Um, so you're not to have sex with her again once she's had a baby. So now she's like, okay, done. I never have to touch you again, mm-hmm. which sounds great. Yeah. I feel like um, <laughs> maybe that's just me. Maybe that was part of her. <laughs> um, I also, I don't want to paint Judah as like a complete villain either uh, because it is so rare that, uh, well, maybe not as rare as, as that but to see a man admit that he was wrong in scripture and take responsibility for the wrongdoings that he did especially when he's admitting that a woman was right and he was wrong mm-hmm. um i love that i think that's great for him there's a little bit of redemption there. there's some Definitely. redemption in there and then i also i i kind of i didn't mention this at the very beginning um but i was reading a few theories around this uh around judah and how we can interpret judah and, and one of the things that someone said is okay Judah's not um, out of spite or anger, not uh, declaring Tamar a widow or marrying her off to her next to his next son. In Judah's eyes, two of his sons were just struck down dead mm-hmm. uh, after being married to Tamar. Does he know that it was God's doing, or does he think that Tamar is possibly murderous? Is she the one who's been taking the lives of his son? And so this theory is like, you know, if I was Judah, I don't know if I would be so quick to offer up <laughs> Keep my her third and final son <laughs> well, to yeah, this I woman. Mean, I mean, even if he doesn't think it's her murdering them, he certainly might believe, golly, she's inciting God to create bad stuff. Yeah. Right? Bad juju. <laughs> <laughs> so... I just want to give Judah a little bit of a break, but I'm team Tamar. So (laughs) in case y'all were wondering. Um, So another question I had is I mentioned that she had twins. I feel like we're seeing some parallels in this chapter to other areas of scripture. And I just wanted to hear from you if there are some parallels you see between this story and other Old Testament stories and what you think they mean. What are we supposed to learn from seeing these parallels? Well, I think the... First thing that I notice from this story is just this pattern of deception that we see over and over again in Genesis. I mean, I couldn't stop thinking of stories in Genesis that were about family members deceiving one. You know, we have Leah and Laban, who Leah is (laughs) Judah's mom out of the wives. That's Judah's mom. Um, So maybe we have a little... Mm-hmm. trail of deception there. Um, they deceive Jacob into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. Um, you have Jacob and Rebecca deceiving Isaac when he's trying to win over his birthright. Um, so I just see this as patterns of families and deception, just that it's, I think it's 
a lot of the Bible is not meant to be heroes. It's a lot of cautionary tales. Um, but I still think there's there's things to be learned from it, that everything is not black and white, that there's really just life is gray, <laughs> that there's just so much gray um, when there are systems that are unfair. Is it unfair to use the system to your advantage like Tamar did? Um, then I look at then the story right after is Joseph and Potiphar's wife, which is another not exactly deception, but it's another story of a woman trying to use a system. Mm-hmm. To her advantage and hers was a little unfair because we see it from Joseph's perspective and we definitely don't want <laughs> to you know promote what Potiphar was Potiphar's wife was doing um but I just see that um deception is just a pattern of humanity unfortunately is <laughs> something mm-hmm. that I see coming from this yeah absolutely and the twins, of course, with uh, mm-hmm. the connection with Jacob and Esau and, and almost the same struggle, right? I mean, there's this deal where one comes out and then he pulls back and the other one gets born. And, and then the whole deal with those twins of the younger actually sort of overseeing the older, and that's not common, mm-hmm. right? So there's lots of stuff that's duplicated here. Well, and, and also, Gracie, to build on what you were saying, I so the theme, one of the themes that I wrote down is similar to like, there's this pattern of deception, but then we also see this pattern of the truth will be revealed. Mm-hmm. In the end, the truth is always yeah, revealed. That's in true. Ex- usually <laughs> to the detriment of the deceiver, not in the case of Tamar, because right. she <laughs> got it. Um, she made it through. But uh, yeah, I, I think that that is... And another thing I find interesting about this story is besides God striking down Er uh, and Onan... Not a lot of mention of God or relationship with God or any understanding. And I think that I'm seeing that pattern a lot in our weird Old Testament stories of like not a lot of mention of God or crying out to God or having a conversation with God or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It's just part of the uh, just a kind of a look into the lives of the Israelite people or in this case, I believe uh, the Moabite people. Now I'm Canaanite, Canaanite. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of like a day in the life of these people. And so what are we supposed to learn about God when God isn't even mentioned except for like striking people down? (laughs) (laughs) That is not a rhetorical question. I really like to know. No, I I think in part what we learn is God is on the side of the outcast or Mm -hmm. the underdog, and Tamar's clearly the underdog here, and and she kind of wins out. And likewise, as I already mentioned, this whole sense in which women in the Old Testament are helping to perpetuate what God intended from the very beginning. That's what Tamar's ultimately doing, right? Mm -hmm. We're glad and excited she wins, if you will, but we're also glad and excited that her win is not just for her, it's for the whole you know, lineage of our Savior. And mm-hmm. holy crud, how cool is that, right? Yes, because God, um, what you're saying about God strikes down er, and Onan, but specifically it says for Onan that God strikes him down because he did not follow through on his familial right. uh, duty. And I mean, that's not the God we know. That's not how we understand how God works. But um that it gives that specific reason that he didn't do what he was supposed to do and God didn't like that. But Tamar says, well, I'm going to do what I can to make sure what's supposed to happen happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and that I actually, uh, I think last week I, I wrote a blog post about do the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. And this is another one of those stories of like, okay, in the end, Tamar accomplished what God wanted for her, which mm -hmm. is why God struck down Onan. And I don't know why Earth. God struck down right. her, but, uh, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but the way that she got there was deception and cunning and uh, using her body as like offering it up sexually to someone else, which I don't, even then it was kind of frowned upon. <laughs> like, so do the ends justify the means? Yeah. And I, I, first of all, I just say, not always. In fact, rarely, really, right? Do the ends justify the means, or do the means justify the ends? But rather, um, I think what a part of this is trying to tell us is, because it actually falls in line with what Jesus would ultimately say, which is, uh, we need to be about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. For, well, mm -hmm. the letter of the law and all this was, uh, you know, prostitution's not right, and certainly um, uh, Judah wasn't doing the right thing in terms of how he did it. And um, uh, Tamar is is doing it in a you know you use the word deception but I I prefer cunning or just mm -hmm. you know doing it wisely is she's clearly breaking the law if you will and yet her ultimate goal is to fulfill what God intended from the beginning and so I think that's how I I want to look at it is um, that the, the the ends justify the means when we're ultimately trying to do what God wants us to do, not when we're trying to get our way or for us specifically, but the way God intended or desired. Mm -hmm. I also feel like that's dangerous because mm -hmm. uh, for, for me to say the ends justify the means, if, I, if the end result is doing God's will, well, I think that was the same mentality with Manifest Destiny. Yes. That was sure. the same mentality with the conquistadors. Like there's just a lot of pain and trauma that has come out of that mentality. Yep. Uh, how, do we, how do we know that we're not going too far? Yeah. No, that you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I don't know that there's a simple solution to that, but I think when we, ref you know, clearly people are going to look at some of the things you just described differently. But um, when we sort of base it in Scripture and base it in our relationship with God versus what I think or what I believe, um, that that makes a huge difference. I mean, I maintain, you know, we've seen some of this recently over the last few years in our country, right? And, and so we we have to identify, does it really make sense according to uh, what we read in Scripture and how Scripture's bigger story identifies mm -hmm. this versus either a set of passages that I want to highlight or mm -hmm. how I'm rendering a specific story? That's the bigger issue. So did reading this story again, having this conversation about it, change the way you think about Tamar? Do you think she cracked the code? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just, I've always cherished, I say always, for a long time I've cherished her because I think she just stands in this long lineage of the women that have made a huge difference, and, and she far too often gets overlooked, and I think she in particular gets overlooked because she's smacked out in the middle of the Joseph story, and it's just a weird deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it changes. Uh, I think it just adds to... Um, what I knew about Tamar is similar is I think of her in the lineage of Jesus, that she's one of the three women that's mentioned in, well, Joseph, if you want to get specific. Um, but um, 
yeah, I just think it adds to the depth of just the the people that God chooses to use in uh, to build God's kingdom. That I know it, the other women who are mentioned, or one of them was Rahab, who was a prostitute. Um, Tamar, it's only perceived as one, um, but. I think it just shows that they're going for the spirit, like Daniel was talking about, the spirit of what God is wanting um, versus maybe maybe it's not to be exactly followed. <laughs> there are more guidelines yeah. than laws. But, but as these were people who wrestled with God, these were people who struggled with their faith. These were people who, but ultimately were people who were faithful um, in the end. Yeah. Love that. Well, I, I think that I'm a little bit more starry eyed and than the two of you with this story because I did not go to seminary and going into all of this research was illuminating for me. Like it completely changed the way I interpret this story. And I had loved Tamar before, but this gave me an even greater insight into, like I said, just the cunning of Tamar and how wise and uh, how much risk she took, like for all of these puzzles pieces to fall into place exactly according to her plan at any point this could have fallen apart in so many different ways and mm -hmm. then she's burned to death uh, so she literally put her life on the line uh, for all of this and it, it it was just an incredible story for me so hopefully the listeners feel the same way and uh, for all of us who didn't go to seminary we we got a little bit more out of the story than we have before but this was our last weird podcast. Oh, so yes. this is our last. It's I not don't the think last it'll be weird one. I don't think so either. <laughs> this is our last of the weird stories of the Bible uh, that we've been focusing on. But this has been so much fun. And thank you all for jumping into this story with me. And uh, hey, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Life Plus God podcast. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. Next week's episode will be brought to you by Men in Progress, a monthly podcast series hosted by the United Methodist Men of Treach to explore challenges faced by men.